Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All righty, we are here with episode three of Beyond Baseball. As always, I'm joined by Dr. Caleb Mezzi. Can't believe we're on episode three already. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's been an awesome journey um, going into our third episode. Love the guests that we have. Love his story and love just the way he details everything, every step of the way. Uh, I know we're going to talk about some other things going on in the baseball world, um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Beyond Us, the two people here. Um so I guess I can start with myself. I just uh, became a girl dad. You see some Kobe stuff in the background, but I just became a girl dad um, this past weekend. Uh, a lot of changes, not that much sleep, but I'm trying to deal with having two kids playing man-to-man defense all the time. But you, Jared, you also had a big milestone in your life. Tell yes. us more about your engagement. Yeah, got engaged uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Feels like it was just the other day, but yeah, got engaged. Um getting ready to uh, have a wedding here next August. So August, 2023. So excited, a little bit of transition in our human and individual lives as we talk about transitions in baseball too. So of course we, we had to give uh, beyond into who we are as the, the host, but um, without further ado, we should definitely talk about what's going on in the baseball world. Yeah, the first story that I wanted to talk about, as we just think about human side stories in general, is Fernando Tatis Jr. As all of you know, he was suspended for 80 games, um, performance-enhancing drugs. And I think the the one thing that really stuck out to me that I wanted to touch on was his press conference um, that he had with the media after. And he kind of talked about this. It's his opportunity to write his own story um now from here on out because we can all have the opinions about what we think is right what we think is wrong that he did um but we're also looking at what 21 22 year old kid who's trying to figure out life yes he got that big contract extension from the Padres of course Padres fans are angry but at the same time there's a human element that goes into all this he probably had this moment where he thought he was invincible he got the big huge contract he was becoming the face of baseball and there's probably that invincibility moment as we talk about too when you try to find your identity outside of the game he all he knew is baseball he was on top of the world and he thought it could never come crashing down and i think those were some of the things that i really took out from that yeah there's a couple of things i do want to actually go back to the beginning of the tatis era and i say that because you know 
we know him as this uber prospect with tons of swag could have been the face of baseball i think that a lot of people saw that he's he's got the look he's got the skill um to me i've always said he he might have the most skills that i've seen since alex rodriguez but it really starts with his father i mean his father played in the league his father knows what it takes his father obviously raised him into this sport of baseball um but there's a few things one of the things i wanted to bring up was um i don't know how many people remember this but when he signed his huge uh was it 14 year I think it was 14 year contract. Um, large part of that went to the big league advance. Um, what that meant is that they were somebody who actually, you know, bet on him that he was going to make it big. And at the same time, we knew about the Tatis name, but I don't think we knew that he was going to be this Uber prospect. He was no Jason Dominguez at the time that he mm-hmm. was signed at the time that he was with the White Sox before he was traded for uh, James Shields. So th- there's this huge thing where like, maybe he knew that he could have been really good. But at the same time, he needed, you know, what the term of the company is, the advance, yeah. you know, to propel his career and get him going. Yes, his father made money, major league money, but it wasn't what it is today. Uh, I think that a lot of this is he was coming into his own. So when you talk about that, his identity was being formed. But he is still very young. He's still impressionable. Right. And I think all of this stuff is kind of becoming his story. So whether he wants to start writing it now, I think that there are a few chapters that were already in the works. Um, what worries me is we don't know all the details. We don't know all the details yeah. of why why he was using this. If it was really, I don't know if they call it, what do they call it? Lotion or, yeah, he's yeah. calling it a ringworm treatment. But was so. it like a lotion or a shampoo? I don't know. Um, that stuff worries me because we don't know the whole story. And usually when that happens, we create fake news or other things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, but I do think it's so early. I do think that there's a lot that he can still you know shape into who he will become because we don't know who he will become yet but when we look at a lot of players that have either had trials and tribulations early or later um, i know one of his mentors and we're going to talk about mentors with jacob turner later but one of his mentors was robinson cano and we saw how cano kind of came into his own he was a little under the radar but then became for a period i think the yankees face yeah um, and then you know had his own bout we saw stuff with like d gordon who actually tested positive for the same um, substance. So their careers have, have gone down since then in terms of, you know, Hall of Fame status, skill level, and all that kind of stuff. But yes, Tatis is so still so super young, and it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and then like he said in his interview, his actions from here on out are going to kind of decide what story he's going to write about himself. Because people will eventually forget. You think about guys like Nelson Cruz and all these other guys who have been banged for PEDs. A lot of times, most guys forget Bartolo Colon, another guy. So, I mean, he's got a chance to write his own story. And really, at his young age, his life's not over. His career's not over. He's got an opportunity to learn from this because we all talk about failure and how you have the opportunity to learn and develop from it. So this is a good chance for him to kind of take it to that next step. And like you said, it tied into this mentorship thing that we talked about in our interview today that everybody's going to get a chance to listen to soon um, with Jacob Turner, that there's a lot of mentorship in the game when it comes to playing the game, but the person outside of the game, I think there are times in the coaching staff and things like that, there lacks a mentorship on developing these people as humans. They're all focused on developing the next major leaguer and developing this athlete, but there's a lot of missing pieces there when it comes to developing the individual. Yeah. One of the things I want to bring up and this ties with Jacob Turner and our you know, conversation with him is, he mentioned what I ultimately wanted to do when he was deciding between pro ball and or going to college. Right. And I look at that for Tatis right now, but I also look at it for the Padres. 
from the team perspective right now, from the PA perspective, I think there's a lot where they should be asking themselves, what can we have done differently with this player, right? Mm -hmm. Where can we, you know, step in? Where is it appropriate to step in? Do they want us to have a conversation with him, you know, depending on who that is? And what does that conversation look like? Because if you look at Tatis in the last year, let's just look at calendar year, right? He had a motorcycle accident. Yeah. He was hurt. The team couldn't do anything because they were in a lockout work stoppage. Then he's coming back from rehab. This comes out. We don't know exactly what happened because there was something that just came out that happened in June and actually wasn't um, July or August, right? So we don't know actually what's happening. There's a lot of gray area here. Um, and then he chooses to have surgery. And now everybody's like, oh, well, why didn't yeah. he choose now? He could have done it you know, a month ago or in June when he found out that he tested positive. There's a lot of questions here. And I think that looks at the team, right? How are you managing your players? How are you developing them as more than just a player and as a person? And what will that ultimately do? He's not going to get out of that contract, right? It's not going to be yeah. that easy. But what does that contract look like moving forward? What is his relationship with his team? Juan Soto is now on the team, right? Is he now taking a back seat to him? You know, Machado signed there kind of taking a back seat to Tatis. And now I think Machado is surpassing him just in terms of the face of the franchise. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that will dovetail and kind of go back into the identity piece that we'll see over time. But for right now, I think there's just a lot of questions. Yeah. And I think the, the one thing that, as we talk about transitions, you talk about contracts and what we have is a great guest too, uh, Jacob Turner, who joined us today. He talks a lot about finances and developing um, financial wealth and making sure that you're making the correct decisions with your money. And um, one of the things that really stuck out to me in this interview was how focused he was on relationships. And I think that's something that I've, talk about in the interview but with my full-time career that's huge to me the opportunity to develop relationships with people to learn from them to be able to grow and kind of push towards the same mission and goals i think that is so key when you start trying to think about um, developing individuals and humans even at the player level that's something they should be teaching these guys as they come into systems and into player development that the opportunity they have to develop relationships within the system yeah, I stuck out to me. Mentors, relationships, they go hand in hand. I think the other piece was the education, whether he calls it that or not. I mean, he talked about reading. He talked about mm -hmm. investing. He talked about networking. Yeah. All those are forms of you know growth mindset and continuing to educate yourself. I look at player development today and I say, like, they have all these tools, right? They have all these technology advances that other players didn't have. And these teams are using them to develop these players. But what are they doing to actually develop the person? Mm -hmm. And it looks like Jacob was like, I'm going to do this myself. And this goes back to something he said, you know, he learned from playing minor league baseball. It's like you winning is not as important, right? Like as yeah. it might be in college and you end up practicing for yourself and not the team. He learned that, you know, he could practice for himself off the field as well. And it really yeah. showed in this in this conversation. Yeah. And then thing is, is like he's practicing for himself off the field, but he also took like this. This is not what I want to do with a team in my professional career outside of the game. Like I don't want it to be all about me. I want to develop a team around me and develop relationships around me that are going to help all of us kind of lift each other up. And I think that's the one thing that's really key. And I think everybody will enjoy. Um, but without further ado, we should get over to that interview. Welcome to Beyond Baseball. We have a great guest today, Jacob Turner. I don't want to call him the former first-round pick. I hate that expression. So in 2009, <laughs> he was a first-round pick. Um, Major League Baseball player who, you know, I I'm going to kind of curtail his career, but he had stints at the Tigers, then he went back to the Tigers, the Marlins went back to the Marlins, 
went to both Chicago teams, the Cubs and the White Sox, I think the Nationals, and even played in the KBO, which we're going to definitely talk about today. But uh, Jacob's journey, I, I talked to you a little bit before, Jacob, um, from high school, you know, superstar to bonus baby. And then we're going to talk about that financial side of things as it impacts your career now. Hearing about the ups and downs, the injuries, the, you know, I don't want to say any disappointments or negatives, but the things that you had to go through in terms of your adversity as a Major League Baseball player. And then how that has impacted you um, beyond baseball, which is the name of this podcast, into what you do now as a you know financial advisor, wealth management um, guru. So I, I want to pass it off to you and really start off learning more about your journey um, from the MLB draft process. Yeah, well, I'm excited about the conversation today. And I appreciate you not saying former first round pick because uh, much like you in baseball, we always talk about former players. And I can remember when sitting in the clubhouse and guys would be like, do you remember that guy? He was like a former whatever. And I remember somebody at one point stopping him and being like, just for the record, he's not dead. Yeah. Like for some reason they talk (laughs) about like former players, like, oh, they're like, they're long gone. Like it was, you know, a hundred years ago. So I appreciate that. But yeah, my journey has been interesting. I'm excited to unpack it with you guys. You know, I mean, baseball has always been a huge part of my life, uh, still is today. So I think we'll have a fun conversation. Yeah, for sure. I I agree with you. I mean, the draft is still there. It's still, um, etched in stone, meaning the internet. So we still see who the first rounders are. It's not like they change it or they, you know, swap things up. You're now a third rounder. Um, but yeah, tell us about exactly. And and this is really inspired by one of your tweet threads about the MLB draft process as it pertains to you. And you can even just dovetail into the financial side of that because that kind of brought you into a different career. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the MLB draft process for me is is pretty similar to like even how it is today. There's a couple of things that are a little bit different. But, you know, for me, I was a I was a highly ranked high school kid um, at the time when the draft was kind of getting close. I'd been pitching really well. I had a great high school season, which ultimately the biggest driver of you getting drafted is going to be that season right before the draft. Like if you have a great year, you know, two years previous, but you know, your draft year isn't as good. You know, you're not going to get drafted as high. You got to kind of ride. I call it the hype train. But if you can get on the hype train and teams start talking about you, you know, perfect game, baseball, America, things like that start talking about you, it matters. So I kind of had got on that hype train. I was throwing really well. I probably pitched as well as I could have possibly pitched my senior year of high school. And going into the draft, I really didn't know what was going to happen. I, I put this in that tweet thread that you talked about, Caleb, but you know, people actually commented, they're like, how did you not know you were going to get drafted? But as a high school player, you have a ton of leverage because you can go to college, right? And I had this commitment to North Carolina. I was really serious about going there. The money was a great option for me, but the money wasn't the end-all be-all for my family. And for us, it was going to take a lot of money for me to bypass this great opportunity I had at North Carolina. So going into the draft, I mean, up until draft day, I really didn't know if I was going to get picked in the first round or if I was going to get picked in the 20th round. Because when I got drafted in 2009, the draft was a little bit longer than it is now. And teams could really pay you whatever they wanted. I mean, they could pick you in the 20th round if they want to pay you five million bucks. They could. So there was a lot of optionality in terms of what was going to happen on that day. So it was certainly a unique experience. But in terms of how it relates to you know how guys get drafted today, it's not too dissimilar. You know, we see we see high school guys that are arguably the top 30 players in the country and they don't get picked at all because they made a firm commitment to, you know, whatever great university they're going to go to. One of the things that you had to decide between is like what you're saying, playing pro ball or going to college. How did that decision-making process, you know, factor in, you know, financially, but then also family 
And this might be a stretch here in terms of what I'm assuming, but the development, right? The development is you as a person, but then also you professionally. You know where you stood professionally, right? Whatever your repertoire was, whatever pitches you need to work on, and in your physicality in terms of your body. Um, we're seeing this now. I, I think this is, you know, my assumption here that college, especially the powerhouses, are being a farm system for some of these major league teams. How was it back then? What went into the decision? Yeah, I think for me, my decision was probably a little deeper just because I had some really good mentors around me. So when I was in high school, we had former big leaders like Andy Bennis, Mike Matheny, who wasn't managing at the time, Todd Worrell. So guys who had had 10 plus years in the big leagues to be able to kind of instill like what professional baseball really was like. And that it wasn't this idea that I thought of going to Bush Stadium and seeing the Cardinals play every night, that there was, you know, a lot of other factors that went into it. So I think my decision was really well grounded, but a lot of it came down to, you know, one, where did I, what did I ultimately want to do with my life? And ultimately I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Right. So from that side, the decision was like, well, I should definitely lean in that direction. But Caleb, to your point on the development side, you know, I think there's a really unique development track from the minor leagues versus college baseball. And what I mean by that is college baseball is, is about winning, right? These coaches are getting paid money to put a product on the field that is going to win. And if you look at like the emotion in the college world series, that is not replicated in the minor leagues. Like when guys hit home runs in the minor leagues, the entire bench is not at home plate congratulating <laughs> that guy, right? There's some guy in the dugout in the minor leagues. It's like, Oh, well, if he had a home run, like he's going to be the next guy to get called up. And that's like, seriously how it is. Like, so it's this constant a battle of like, yeah, we're competing on the field, but at the same time, like these teams are trying to develop you. They're hiring coaches in the minor leagues to develop you to get to the big leagues so that they can win at the big leagues. And I'll never forget, I had a coach and I won't mention his name, but he literally had a team meeting with us and told us it wasn't about winning. And now in the minor leagues, like I understand it's not technically about winning, but like, how are you supposed to develop as a player? If you're going out there as a team of nine guys every night and you're like, we're not supposed to win or it doesn't really matter. So it's a, it's a completely different dynamic. Yeah. And I think practicing, what are you practicing for? Yeah, it becomes, it, I think where the issue really lies is you start practicing for yourself as opposed to practicing for the team. And then when you get to the big leagues, now all of a sudden it's not about you at all. It's about the team. Yet you've been taught the last three or four years that like, Hey, it's about like you developing as a person and you getting better and hopefully you can move up. And it's like this me, me, me mentality that is really hard to, you know, it's this weird battle dynamic. Like you're in this clubhouse with all these guys that you like become best friends with. Yeah. And like, you're so excited when one guy gets to the big leagues, but then like you're looking across the room and you're like, well, that's the other infielder that like didn't get called up. And like, how's he feeling right now? And like, it's not real good. Like I've been, I've been the pitcher on both sides of that coin. Yeah. And I think the one thing you kind of touch on, there's a lot of lessons learned there um, coming through your journey through professional baseball. Um, and I think one thing that we talked about with Tyson Ross um, in the first interview that we did, he talked about how failure was something that he's utilized um, in trying to navigate through failure that he could use in his personal life. What are some of the lessons that you kind of took away from your journey through professional baseball, seeing a lot of that focus on me mentality versus team mentality. And how's he, have you used that, utilize that to help you kind of in your professional career now? Yeah. Well, I think like you mentioned with Tyson, you know, failure is inevitable part of life and failure in baseball is just kind of magnified because yeah. you are seeing it in front of all these people. They're letting you know that you failed. You're going home. And if you're on social media, they're reminding you all night long that you failed. You wake up in the morning and they tell you you failed. 
And then you're going to go to the field and do it all again the next day. Right. (laughs) So like, it's this constant, you learn to fail pretty quickly and you learn to forget it pretty quickly. But I think for me, you know, one of the things that I think I learned a lot in professional baseball that probably doesn't get talked about as much is just this idea of like being in a team environment and how you communicate with different people and how you build relationships with different people. And that's not just the people that are in the clubhouse. That's all the people that are on the team. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, that's the GM of the team. That's all the people that are putting on all the on-field events. That's all the people at the concession stands that are selling, you know, hot dogs and beer and, and getting people to be engaged in the game for you to go out there and play. That's the grounds crew that's out there every single day before you do anything. That's the grounds crew that's out there after you throw a bullpen. And I think, in professional baseball in particular, in professional sports, it can be so easy to get caught up in thinking that you are the coolest thing ever because you're a professional athlete. And, you know, one thing that one of my favorite books that I've read is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. this classic book about just relationships. And and like, honestly, the takeaway for me is like relationships are about actually caring about people and caring about people has nothing to do with like what their job title is. And I think for me, I learned that sometimes the hard way in professional sports. I mean, my first couple of years, I thought I was super cool. Like I was the first round draft pick. I signed for a lot of money. I'm like, I'm, I'm important. I'm an important person. And uh, when I started failing, I was like, man, I'm not that important. <laughs> and uh, this thing could end any day. So that was one of the lessons I learned. I, I, I think, you know, Jared doesn't get talked about as much. Yeah. And I think that's extremely huge because I think about my day-to-day job that I do on a daily basis. The first thing I always focus on is building relationships with others because that's the only way we're going to get something done. Um, just for reference, I work in politics just to, to level set, but you, you have to develop the relationships with the people. You have to develop the, that trust in a team and those around you, or else you're not going to be able to kind of find those um opportunities to have success or be able to build towards a mission and things like that and help others. And I think that's one of the key things. Um, Yeah, no, I would definitely say, I mean, relationships, especially I think people fail to realize that relationships are like this long game. And that's why a lot of times people don't put the effort into them because, you know, like there can't be, there's not an agenda when you're building a relationship. It's just like you actually caring about an individual and you building a relationship with them and like pouring into their life and they're pouring into your life. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like, it's not about what our job title is. It's not about what we do, um, but it's about the people that we have around us. Like at the end of the day, you know, nobody's going to stand up there and and read your eulogy and tell you about how great, you know, Caleb, Jared or Jacob was at their job. (laughs) They're going to talk about like the impact that they made in their lives and how they made them feel. Yeah. One of the things that we're all alluding to is this, you know, term identity that we talk about a lot. And I think in, in terms of that, you see that that ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. And Jacob, you talked about like, I thought I was this when I first signed and I went there and then you've been through some ups and downs. You've been traded, you've been released, you've been picked up, you've been hurt, you've gone through surgery. For me, I want to ask you this question. Um, How do you find, you know, common ground with yourself? How do you how do you stay grounded and how do you kind of come back to I love baseball? It's what I do, but it's not who I am. Yeah, I think a lot of that grounding, Caleb, came for me just as I grew up. You know, my parents were were really grounding. I have two brothers. We all played sports growing up. We were all relatively good at sports. But my dad, he was a man of few words. But when he spoke, you listened to him. And he always encouraged us, but he never put us on this pedestal. I mean, if we did good, it was like, hey, good job. Like, go get him the next time. And at the time, I was always like, man, like, I could use a little bit more than that. But I think for me, it helped me just stay grounded and understand that like, 
hey, this is like what I'm doing, but this isn't who I am. You know, I have a huge faith component in my life that I believe is ultimately the most important thing for me. And I think that keeps me grounded as well. But a lot of it's those people that I have around me that can just talk sense into me if I'm if I'm acting like I shouldn't be acting. Yeah, I'm seeing the consistency with the team environment, but also the family environment. Um, one of the things I'm curious about, I think Jared will probably have more questions to follow up, but that team environment, that family environment, that had to have been different when you played in the KB for the KBO. So talk to us about that experience. Yeah, well, the KBO, I mean, for those that don't know, the KBO is a Korean baseball organization, and I spent 2019 there. I played for a, a team called the Kia Tigers, which we were in Gwangju, South Korea. So to give you guys some perspective, if you look at the state of Missouri, that's about the size of South Korea, and Gwangju is in this little tiny corner of South Korea, very far away from Seoul, the capital. So I call it real Korea. Um, what I mean by that is like the only people that spoke English in Gwangju were American players on the team. And if there was a teacher there that was teaching English or if like a military guy happened to be there. So it was a really cool experience. But Caleb, to your point, I mean, the team atmosphere is way different. Right. But what's also unique is like how supportive all those guys were of me coming in. And it gave me a completely different perspective that I wish I would have had when I was playing in the States, because that same perspective is how I should have been treating all these guys coming from Venezuela. You know, my teammates mm -hmm. coming from the Dominican Republic, my teammates coming from Cuba, you know, they are coming to this entirely new setting. And sometimes all it takes is like just somebody smiling at you and like patting you on the back and they're not even saying anything, but you're just like, man, I like needed that today because like, I can't talk to anybody. And like, I just pitched really bad the night before. And like, I just want to know my team like still supports me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's huge. I mean, I worked in baseball for a while, and a lot of those Latin players that come up, they're coming to a whole new culture and whole new experience. Like, they're leaving their home at 17 years old to come try to make it in the major leagues. And just, I think what you touched on, which was huge, is that they were just accepting of you as soon as you came over and wanted to help support you. Um, just, like, looking at those cultural shifts, and we talk about relationships, um, what were some of the key things that you kind of picked up um, trying to learn a different culture, um, and trying to kind of just immerse yourself into something new and um, kind of lessons that you learned from that and you want to bring back into your professional life now. Yeah, the biggest thing that I learned is that people ultimately are good. People want to help. You know, as a as a male, I'm not like the guy that goes into Home Depot and starts asking like, hey, where is everything? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'll just walk down 10 aisles before I have to ask somebody. <laughs> But in, in South Korea, when you don't speak the language and like you don't really know where you're going, sometimes you have to ask and people want to help. And whether they speak English or not, like there's ways that you can communicate that like they can help you. And the story I would give you, Jared, is I was on a bus. So the team was playing the, a night game somewhere else. I was pitching the next day. So they were like, hey, we're going to put you on the bus. So I go to this new city. I'd never been to the city before. I get on this bus and the team had told me like, Hey, there's like some English signs on the bus, no English signs. Like the bus stops. And like, there's this little like banner that goes across. It's all in Korean. So I'm like, okay, like what stop do I get off at? And all I really know is that like, it's about a two hour drive. So like, I'm just looking at my phone being like, okay, it's about a two hour drive. I kind of have a picture of the hotel, but this bus isn't dropping me right at the hotel. And I remember I went to go get off the bus and the bus driver, like, like gets my attention, like not speaking English, just kind of like making noise in Korean. So I like turn around and he like gives me this like X sign, which is like basically just like, don't, 
don't get off here. And this <laughs> girl that had just gotten off, she spoke a little bit of English and she asked me like where I was going. And I told her, and basically like where I was getting off was like a Korean residential community. And he was like, there's no way that this guy is going here. Right. <laughs> um, Cause the next stop was where the hotel was. So like, that's the situation where like, he just helped me and, you know, he was trying to put some good in the world. It's very interesting. Um, I, I think that experience can help, um, but it could also, you know, scare you a little bit. And it seems like you took everything in stride, similarly to how you did when you were in the minor leagues. Um, I'm curious it, as we transition into your transition, um, I want to know, tell us about, the ups and downs and ultimately what made you want to retire and then what made you choose, or at least maybe there's a selection process to becoming um, a wealth advisor and really going into the world of finance and wealth management. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the first part. So for me, my career was, you know, this, this wave of like ups and downs and ups and downs and the highs were really high and the lows were really low. I got to the big leagues at 20 years old and, you know, it looked like I was going to be a 20 game winner for the next 10 years. And it didn't work out like that. And I think as my career progressed, I, I realized probably halfway through my career that like one, I have other passions outside of baseball. Like I was still fully committed to baseball, but like baseball, you know, was not everything to me. Like I, I didn't see myself like coaching when I got done and being like a quote baseball lifer. And I would say in 2018, I got released from the Marlins. I had made the team out of camp. So I was in the big leagues. I had a really bad game in Philadelphia. I got sent to AAA. When I got sent to AAA, I was kind of like a low man on the totem pole in AAA because we weren't doing well in the big leagues. So a lot of the prospects were pitching, which I completely understand. I was that guy at one point. And I wasn't pitching good in AAA and I got released from AAA. And I, was, I remember going back to my wife who had just gotten to New Orleans at the time and just being like, I think I'm just done. Like, I'm just, I just like had it like emotionally. I called my agent, told him like how I was feeling. He kind of talked me off the ledge. He's like, just give it a couple days, like see where you're at. So I was driving back to St. Louis from New Orleans. And I got a call that, hey, the Tigers want to sign you, which was cool for me. Like the Tigers, although I wasn't with them that long, like they felt like home to me because they were the team that gave me the first chance. I knew everybody in the organization and they were like, they want to go to Toledo, which is their AAA and, and start. And, you know, they have an opportunity in the big leagues if you pitch well. And I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to, like, this sounds fun. Like, let's do it. And I remember talking to him and he made this comment to me, which I always go back to. He's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you've already been released. He's like, you got designated like four times. You've given up a bunch of runs in the big leagues at one time. Like you got released from AAA. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? He's like, why don't you just go have fun? Just like compete like you were in high school. And man, I'll tell you, like those last four months I was in AAA and I ended up getting called to the big leagues for a little bit it was some of the most fun I've had because it was just like, I just let go of like any preconceived notion of like what I wanted to happen. And I just lived in the moment and it sounds so simple, but it's such a hard concept to do. So that's what led me to playing in Korea in 2019. I, you know, had made some adjustments pitching wise at that year that, they didn't translate onto the field like I would have liked them to. And frankly, you know, my heart just wasn't in the day-to-day -day grind of what it takes to be successful. And when I got to the offseason, I kind of knew that like, hey, I'm I'm probably ready to like move on to something else. And that ended up being the COVID year, which ended up being a nice way for me to transition to something else. Because, you know, for guys like me that were trying to sign minor league deals, they were few and far between. Here I am thinking like my heart's like 80% of the way into this, knowing that like if I'm not 100% and I'm not all into this thing, I'm going to have no chance of competing. So 
it kind of made for almost like as smooth a transition as you possibly could because like I stopped playing baseball when nobody was playing baseball, right? Like the first couple of months, nobody's playing. So I'm like, I'm not even missing anything. Yeah. One of the things that you're proving is the point that, and we've made this point several times that the transition is a process and it's not just a singular event. And you're proving no. that in 2018, you had that thought, you talked to your wife then you went about it and slowly these things, you know, your ducks aligned as the horrible phrases. I have two things I want to bring up. One is you mentioned your passions outside of baseball earlier, like the first question you really mentioned mentors, but you pertain to the draft process. Talk to me about the passions outside of baseball that what led you to today, um, what you're doing, and then go back to the mentors and talk about the mentors, maybe in the transition process or just in the, I, I looked at this guy because he did the transition well, or I looked at this guy because he was in, you know, wealth management. Yeah. I mean, for me, passions outside of baseball. So when I first signed, I was really blessed to come into a lot of money, right? I was a first round pick. Like I had all these opportunities, but with that came a lot of responsibility and my mom had a background in accounting. So she was a, a total numbers geek for lack of a better term. I can remember her sitting me down with like this Excel spreadsheet and being like, Hey, so here's like what you can spend. And I'm like, you know, this is like way over my head. I'm like, wait, I'm going to pay like that much in taxes. Like that seems crazy to me. Like I never paid taxes in my life. I didn't make any money. So I'd always had this passion for just learning and like wanting to understand like why, what I was investing in. And, you know, I just didn't want to, I always tell people, I didn't want to end up on ESPN, the 30 for 30 broke episode of like, <laughs> oh, here's this guy who was his first round pick and he spent all his money before he ever stopped playing. So I had this passion for it. I, I love learning and just getting better. So throughout my career, I was always reading, asking questions, using the people that I had hired on my team around me and telling them that like, hey, I don't just want you to do the job you're doing. I want you to educate me about why we're doing what we're doing so I can better understand what's going on. And, you know, honestly, that led me to like asking questions that led me to changing people that were on my team originally that didn't end up on my team and ultimately it led me to what I do now. And when I think about like mentors, my mentors in the draft were vastly different than my mentors as I moved out of baseball. What I mean by that, Caleb, is when I got done playing my last six months or so of still being a, quote, current professional baseball player, not a former one was I was going to lunch and breakfast with all these people that were in the finance world, knowing that like, Hey, I really love finance. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like if I want to do personal finance, like I love personal finance, but in my head, I was like, do I really want to like go into like this role that like at, at the, you know, basic stages of it is like, you're kind of selling like your ability to help somebody. And I'm like, do I really want to do that? Like, I don't know. And so I went to lunch with, anybody that would go to lunch with me and just like pick their brain. Cause originally I was like, Oh, I think I want to do investment banking. And I went to lunch with a guy here in St. Louis. I was nice enough to take the time. And he was like, yeah, we could like get you an investment banking job at this big firm. And he's like, but just to be clear, like you're working Monday through Saturday, you're working 12 to 15 hour days. And he's like, that's going to go on for like three to four years. So like, do you want to do that? And I was like, well, I have four kids. Like, I don't know if my wife's going to want me to do that. So I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. But through those constant iterations, it led me to like, Hey, this is like really what I want to do. And, you know, it just took me humbling myself, honestly. Like I humbled myself. I worked for a firm that, and I basically was like, Hey, I want to work for you and I'll make no money. Like, I just want to learn the inner workings of like what's going on. That's pretty humbling though, to come from like the year before I was making a million bucks to be like, Hey, I'll spend <laughs> my time and I'll make no money. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, something that you touched on that I, I really like is that fact that you just were willing to reach out to people and ask for help and kind of be wanting to learn those things. Um, and one thing I think that I we kind of talk about with different athletes is when they come into um, baseball, they don't get the opportunity to kind of learn how to use their platform, use social media to help them reach out to other people or to brand themselves. Um, so how have you kind of utilized social media in order to kind of brand yourself, but also help you reach out to people who are in the field that you're in and being able to kind of pick their brain and uh, develop relationships with them? Yeah, well, I mean, social media is huge. I mean, Caleb, I think me and you connected first time yes. on social media and have built a relationship from there. And I used social media so poorly when I was playing. Like I had this amazing opportunity, completely blew it. Like I'll be totally upfront, completely blew it. I didn't, I had, you know, all these people that wanted to engage with me and like, I didn't want to engage mostly because it, honestly, as an athlete, it is relatively negative. Like even if you're the yeah. best player in the world, the minute you do bad, it's like, you know, you're terrible and you know, you should never play again. And those are the nice things that they say. So I didn't use much engagement on social media, but when I got done playing, I was talking to a couple of friends that I have that do a lot of work on social media and you know, I, I was thinking like, okay, so like, how could I do this if I wanted to do this? And I think my story, I'm a pretty authentic person. Like anybody that would ask me questions, I'll tell them the answer, like generally, like what I do. And he's like, all you got to do is like, do that. And I was like, okay, so like, I could just do like what I do in my daily life and just put it on social media. And it's been, it's been really cool, man. Like seeing the relationships I've been able to build through social media, seeing the people that I've hopefully been able to help just with like my own stories and yeah, certainly like my story is unique, but there's so many lessons that like I've learned along the way that people can take to any aspect of anything they're doing, whether it's building relationships, whether it's interviewing at a business, whether it's performing in front of people, um, whether it's managing money. And I try to just I try to just be as authentic as I possibly can. Yeah, I, I was going to add a few things because I love the networking piece. I love the education, the growth mindset phrase comes to mind. I'm sure you've heard this several times as an athlete because all these teams are now trying to send this down to the minor leagues all the way up to the majors. Um, but the thing I see, and, and I'm going to give you some credit here, is you were drafted in 2009. Social media was in its infancy then. Nobody knew what it was, and a lot of agents and people who worked with players were like, you, you want to be, you want to temper your expectations. You want to be cognizant of what you're doing because as an athlete, all eyes are on you, and they're looking for this thing that you mess up, this you know term or go back to your high school days right? Like we saw with Josh Hader, all these things that they can dig up on you. So you're kind of like hesitant if I want to use it. But now is the shift, right? You're in a different field. So I, I wrote down, it went from you adding value, we're removing the eyes on you to offering advice. Maybe advice yep. isn't the best term. But the way you use Twitter, in terms of like the threads, versus how you use LinkedIn, where you have more of a long form post, I don't say it's a blog, but it kind of reads like that. Yep. Um, it's, it's just brilliant because what it's doing is it's positioning you as a thought leader, whether you want to be or not, you're adding value. And I don't know if this is true, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. People are probably viewing you in your expertise as wealth management versus this is a former baseball player like we talked about. Yeah. And I think, you know, look, personal branding is huge and social media, although it's been around for really since like 2009 was kind of when it started going. I mean, I still believe that it's in you know, the early stages of how people are actually going to use it. And the example that I would give is if you had a resume that had one piece of paper that said like all your accomplishments, or you had a, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, you know, TikTok, whatever you platform you want to choose. 
and you're putting like actionable value into the world and you were and you showed a potential you know job that versus your one piece of paper what would they value more and i would argue that they would value like what you've put into the world because they can really see like one who you are as a person two like so much of content creation and social media is about showing up every day which is like one of the biggest issues that you know people have when they hire like hey is this guy going to be consistent is he going to show up every single day and like i'll tell you like writing online is showing up every day like i mean i I spend time, you know, during the week that I that I write. But the biggest benefit that I see, Caleb, is writing is all about communicating, right? So if I can't write it to somebody that I don't know and think that they're going to understand the way that I'm writing it, then I definitely know that I'm not going to be able to communicate it to a client that I'm potentially working with and trying to help. So I love writing, but writing has just led to, you know, it's like, well, how can I communicate it in a simpler fashion? And then even Twitter it's like, how can I create it a simpler fashion that also is in, you know, X amount of characters, which is kind of this weird shift because like when you're in traditional education, they're like, you have to write five pages. And yeah. then like you get on like social media or emails and you're like, you got to write two sentences. And like <laughs> if, the, if you don't capture engagement in two sentences, like it's over. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I find it interesting. I was like we go through the transition of kind of figuring out um, life. And I think the one thing that we always kind of try to finalize and ask guests um, as our last question is um, what is one thing that you'd give advice to, to current athletes who are trying to figure out that transition out of the game? Um, because I think uh, it's helpful to fans too, but I also think just understanding for those athletes who are currently playing what resources and tools they can utilize um, as they try to figure out themselves outside of the game. Yeah, I would uh, I would steal something from my friend Sahil Bloom, who talks about luck surface area. So luck surface area is this notion that like the more relationships you build, the more good you put into the world, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. And when I think about athletes, a lot of times they get so caught up in, hey, if I start reaching out to people that are not, you know, sports people and I talk about like what they're doing and I explore like, well, maybe I would want to do that when I'm done playing. Am I not giving it everything I got with baseball? And I I like couldn't push back on that more, right? Like as an athlete, you have so much time in the off season that like you can do these things and you can explore this. And, but I think, you know, Jared, to your point, that translates to anybody in business. If you are in a job yeah. that you don't enjoy, like go reach out to some people that are doing something that you think you might enjoy mm -hmm. and like actually hear the real life side of it. Not like, oh, I see that you're making a lot of money and you have this cool house. Like, do I want to actually do what you're doing? And the answer is usually no. So like, I think that's that's the biggest thing I've learned is just, you know, like increase that luck surface area by like just starting. Everybody like you look at this monumental task and you're like, you got to just start somewhere. Yeah, I think I love that. going to your point, Caleb, as you talk about Kobe Bryant all the time, he talked about everybody wanting to take this quantum leap into something instead of taking it step by step or day by day. They want to go. They want the success now. And then I think it leads to a lot of disappointment in people because all of a sudden they feel like, oh. I'm not getting the success, so I might as well give up and not try. Um, yeah, there's also this value piece that you know, baseball players don't realize that they have is they are naturally traveling to all these different areas. If you start to look at your schedule and say like, oh, there's this guy I want to meet or girl I want to meet. She's in this area. I'm going to be in this area on that day. Just schedule it. I mean, it's so yeah. easy. Like, like some people are like, oh, I want to meet all these people, but I'm stuck at my job where I work 12 to 15 hours. I have a family. I can't really travel. We're telling you that you can travel. You can go to all these different parts. You want to learn about real estate, learn about real estate in all these different parts of the world. It's just 
it's so cool to do that. And we have to be honest, a lot of people want to talk to athletes. So if you throw out, you know, I'm a current pitcher for this team, you think they're not going to drop everything to talk to you so that they can tell their <laughs> friends a the story. Yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, there's so much, op- there's so much opportunity that is missed there because like, imagine you're going to New York city and like, Caleb, your point, you want to talk about real estate and like, it takes you five seconds to get on Google, find like top five real estate developers, send them a cold email and be like, Hey, I'm playing against the New York Yankees next week. And like, could I buy you breakfast and just hear about your journey? Like, yeah, they're going to, and like, Hey, by the way, like I'll get you tickets to the game or like whoever you want to get tickets and VP passes. Like it's like this trade off of value. And like, frankly, like you're getting so much more value than like they're getting, but like, it's a, it's just a, it's this awesome opportunity that is missed. And I think, um, I hope more athletes start doing it. Well, that is how we're going to end. Cause I think the advice you gave your friends to heal bloom, he, who's a, you know, we talked about social media. He's a, he's brilliant on Twitter. Um, but I think that's a really good way to end. Um, and we went beyond baseball with Jacob Turner. So thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.